As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Good to see you. What comes to your mind when you hear the word loyalty? Uh, for some of you, that's like it becomes a positive word. Like at first glance, I'm like, man, yeah, I, I want to be a loyal person. I want to I be known by that. But maybe you're like me and you've had some experiences when it comes to people being loyal, either you to somebody else or somebody to you. Uh, maybe you've been in a scenario before where, where you've been loyal to somebody, where you've you know, engaged with somebody, you pressed into somebody, maybe you realized, man, I, I'm a little too loyal to them. And you've had some blind loyalty, and what happens there? Well, you get burned. Or maybe it's been in, in reverse. Like, have you ever been in one of those relationships where, man, somebody's pledged so much loyalty to you, so much allegiance to you, I'll be there in your hardest day, I'll be there in the toughest time, I'll never leave you, and then what happens? It feels like you get stabbed in the back, somebody pulls the rug out from underneath you, and what happens in those scenarios? Well, if you're honest, you get a little bitter. And this morning, we're going to talk about loyalty, but we don't want to get burned and we don't want to get bitter. We want to figure out how can we find loyalty from God and extend it to other people. Hey, if you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to the book of Ruth. Turn to the book of Ruth. We're continuing our series, Everyday Heroes. And what we're going to find today is Ruth was a woman, an incredible woman. Uh, who had the awe factor. I mean, she was available. She was willing. We're going to find that Ruth was empowered by God to do some remarkable things. Here's our transformational truth for today. What we're going to learn from Ruth in one sentence, that God uses your incremental moments of your loyalty to build the monumental moments of your legacy. That God is going to take the small incremental choices that we make in our life. And over time, as we build a life, he can and he will, if we allow him to build a monumental legacy with our life. Uh, so turn to Ruth. We're going to dive through the entire book. Don't worry, I'm not going to read every single verse. But let me give you a quick flyover for the context. Here's what's happening. There was a man in Israel, in Judah to be specific, whose name was Elimelech. And what Elimelech did was there was a famine in the land. People were hungry. They were starving. He had a wife named Naomi, and he had two sons. And he decided, man, enough's enough. I mean, we don't have food. How can I put food on the table? We're starving here. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. How do things normally go when we take matters into our own hands? Not too good, and we're going to find that out. And so Elimelech, he decides to take his family, move them to another country. So they travel, they move to Moab. Now, Moab was a place that was known for being a godless place. The book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. You know what it says in the book of Judges? It says that everybody did whatever they had in their own mind. They, they, they did whatever they pleased. They did whatever came to mind, whatever came to sight to bring pleasure and joy or whatever they wanted to find in their life. They weren't living the way that God was intending them to live. And so what happens is Elimelech, he actually dies. Ouch. And so Naomi is left as a widow with her two sons. Her two sons go and they marry two Moabite women. Normally that'd be a beautiful thing, but I just explained these weren't people that worship God. And while Elimelech got a lot of things right, he was a God follower. 
And so they marry these women and then guess what happens? Both the sons die. Can you imagine? So now you have Naomi and two daughter-in-laws living in Moab and they're all widowed. And they're still in the middle of a famine. They're trying to figure out what to do. And Naomi hears from God and decides, I I need to retreat. I need to return back to Israel, to the presence of God. I I need to get back to God. And so the context here as we dive in, in Ruth 1, is they're on their way back to Israel, to where Naomi is from, with her two daughters, daughter-in-laws, who are going to travel with her. And she stops and she says, "Hey, hey, girls, you know what? Just go back. Like, just go, just go back to Moab where you're from. I mean, could, could we really blame them? I mean, when we're first thinking in, in human thoughts, we'd be like, yeah, I mean, just fresh start. Start life over again. I mean, your husbands are dead. I mean, go back home. Now, just think about this, though, for a moment. This was not Naomi's finest evangelistic moment. She's like, hey, why don't you go back to Moab where everybody's godless and does whatever, is, you know, is right in their own eyes and, and, and just, you know, return home. Rather than like, hey, want to come with me to Israel? But she actually says, you can go. And so one daughter, her name's Orpah. I got to be honest, every time I read this story, I just think it's Oprah. And so I just call her Oprah because, you know, I don't know, that's what it sounds like to me. And so Orpah, she takes her up on it. She goes. And then enter Ruth to pick up the story. Jot this down. We're going to watch how Ruth has unwavering loyalty. When it comes to unwavering loyalty, it's established in the depth of love. Ruth chapter one, starting in verse 15. They're on their way. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and ouch to her gods. So she even acknowledges, hey, she's not following. She's going back to these false gods. But Ruth said, so she, she encourages her and then, hey, Ruth, why don't you return after your sister-in-law? End of verse 15, verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now, don't miss this. What we're witnessing here is Ruth's conversion. She's saying, I'm done with that old way of living. I understand the land that I came from, but I want to journey on with you. And she's not getting things out of order. Before she pledges her allegiance and loyalty to Naomi, which she will in just a moment, and she's doing right here in verse 15 and 16, she is first pledging her allegiance to God himself. Verse 16, your people should be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Why? Look. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, what Ruth is doing is she is pledging her number one allegiance and loyalty to Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, and using his most intimate name. Hey, Naomi. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And in her allegiance to God, we're now going to see her loyalty to Naomi. Let's not get this out of order, church, in our life. Sometimes what happens is a couple will stand up at an altar on the happiest day of their life, and they will pledge their unwavering loyalty to one another. But can I tell you, if their primary loyalty is not to God himself, 
then the secondary loyalty, what should be the secondary loyalty of this marriage, man, it's going to be in trouble. And there might be some people that get burned and people that get bitter. Hey, hey, business people, when you're starting that new business venture and you're, you're setting out and you and your business partner are like, man, let's do this. We got each other's backs. Nothing could come between us. Where's your primary loyalty? Is your primary loyalty to God or to others? Hey, if we're not careful, we can do this. We can stand up at a baseball game or wherever you want to do and put your hand on your heart and you can pledge allegiance to this great country that we live in or sing the national anthem. And that's great. But the question for today is, where is your primary loyalty? Where is your secondary loyalty? Ruth, her primary loyalty was God, to God. Her secondary and profound loyalty was to Naomi. And we'll give Ruth a little extra credit because Ruth was, I gotta be honest, I mean, it says she was bitter. She actually changed her name and she changed, the name that she changed her name to meant bitter. And she was old. So Ruth was loving a bitter old lady, right? Like she got some extra credit here for going with her mother-in-law. I had a bunch of mother-in-law jokes written down. I cut them all out. I didn't think that was going to be a good idea for today. They were so easy to come up with though. Okay, sorry. I, I digress. I digress. But Naomi's bitter. Why? Because instead of putting her primary loyalty to God, She's looking at all the circumstances of life around her. And I get it. She lost her husband. She lost both of her sons. And she's saying, man, look, look what happened to me. How could this happen to me? Maybe you've asked that before. God, why am I in this situation? Why am I in this difficulty? Let me give you three ways, three options, really, that we have a choice to respond when trials come. What are the options at hand when trials come? Well, the first choice is this. We endure it. Now, at first, that sounds pretty good. But the problem with enduring it is we're just doing it in our own strength. We're just gritting our teeth and we're, and we're, we're just going to get through it. And here's what happens when that happens. The, the trials become our master. That's what happened to Naomi. The circumstances of her life, the death of her loved ones, it became her master. It, it consumed her. It overwhelmed her. But our second choice, what are our options here, is that we escape it. Now, we know that this never goes well. This is actually what Orpah did. Why doesn't this go well? Because when we try to escape the trials of life, what we're actually doing is we're missing out on learning about the purposes of God that he wants to achieve in and through us, yes, amidst the trial, because God uses them to refine us and shape us. And this is what Orpah did. She escaped, she ran. She went back to the old way. But here's the last thing we can do. We can enlist it. We can put our trials to work. We can put them to work and say, rather than our trial uh, taking over me, I'm going to say this trial needs to serve me. This trial needs to serve the way that I'm growing, the way that I'm looking. And that's what we're seeing Ruth do. She's going to say, yeah, I'm in a difficult spot. Now just slow down for a moment to think about Ruth. Ruth is a homeless, widowed, immigrant, moving into a no new country with no money, no food, no husband, no family except her mother-in-law, all on her own, having no idea what she's going to do with her life. And what Ruth is going to teach us is that we have an opportunity to get our allegiances right. And while she's in a pretty big pit right now, we're going to see that she's going to use these incremental moments, these incremental small decisions for God to build a great legacy through 
her. Second way that we establish this unwavering loyalty is that it's established in the delight of love. Not only the depth of love of God and in love of relationship, but the delight of love. Hey, couples, if you've been married a little while, can I just remind you of something? Do you know love is actually supposed to be delightful? You're actually supposed to enjoy it. This is what God wants us to do, and this is what Ruth is going to do. And so what happens? We're going to skip ahead to chapter 2 and start in verse 1. But what happens in the beginning of verse 2 is we see that Ruth is out and she's gleaning in a field. What is gleaning? What's that all about? Well, gleaning in a field, there's actually Old Testament laws. What they could do is widows and orphans, those who had a need, could go and they could basically take the scraps from a farmer's field. So they could go as the workers were harvesting the field and they could just pick up kind of the little extras, the pieces that fell behind on the edges of the field to try to feed themselves or provide for their, their family. And so Naomi decides, I'm going to have a, or Ruth decides rather, I'm going to make another incremental step. I, I got to provide for Naomi. How, how are we going to do this? And so she goes to these fields and begins to, to gather some scraps. I mean, honestly, she's not that much, she's not that far away from kind of being a panhandler on the street. Naomi's not that far away at this point from, from picking up the McDonald's wrapper out of the, the trash and seeing if there's a few bites of the sandwich left. I mean, that's, that's where Ruth is at right now. And this was dangerous. This was a dangerous pursuit. I mean, it would be easy as a young single woman that she would get robbed of the little she had or she would be abused. We're gonna see in a moment that that can happen. But she goes into this field. She's desperate for, for food. She happens to come across this field that's owned by a man named Boaz. If you're a note taker, write the name Boaz real big somewhere in your notes. I don't know why. He was a great, great man of God. And he's going to use, God's going to use Boaz to do some incredible things. Ruth chapter two, picking up in verse eight. Then Boaz, so now they're, they're interacting, they're in the field, Ruth is gleaning. She comes across Boaz, the owner of the field. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not, uh, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. He's saying, hey, hey, this field here, my land, it's your land. Stay here. Don't go anybody, anywhere else. Keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. He's saying, you can have access to my field. Hey, I'm, I want to bless you. What's mine is yours. Have I not charged the young men to touch you? To not touch you. This was such a big deal in the day. He's saying, hey, you know, all the, all the men that work for me, I, I'm going to make sure that none of those men do anything to harm you, abuse you, or treat you poorly. They're all under my watch. What's that? It's a sign of provision initially, and it's a sign of protection. And then he goes on to say this. And when you're a thirsty, go to the vessels, drink what the young men have drawn. Drink my water. My water is your water. My wine is your wine. And then what happened to Ruth? Remember, she's in her greatest moment of despair. And what happens? Then she fell on her face, bowing down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me because I'm a foreigner. And look how Boaz answers. We're talking about loyalty. We're talking about legacy. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. What are we seeing here? Ruth's loyalty precedes her. 
All these things that she has done, all these steps that she has taken, many difficult, moving with her mother-in-law back, caring for her, moving to a new place, going out in the field to glean, to care for her. It's been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land. And you came to a people that did not know before, that you did not know before. Watch this. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she says, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me, spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. He's saying, hey, hey, even though I, I don't work for you, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not helping you produce money on this, you know, harvesting all these crops. Like, I'm not, and you've just welcomed me in and said, what's mine is yours. I said, Boaz was a great man. Hey, church, just like Ruth, would it be true of us to understand that your loyalty to God always precedes your legacy? That if you and me want to sit one day on a front porch in some rocking chairs and look back on a life well lived, that it's what we place our allegiance and loyalty to that will produce the legacy that we want to have for generations to come in our life. Now, this is a radical kind of love. So buckle up because the love story is about to begin between these two. Ruth is one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. Uh, but, but just get a picture of how, how radically different these two are as they begin to fall in love. Ruth, an immigrant, a foreigner in the land, homeless at the time, widowed. Boaz, a follower of God as Ruth is now. A rich, a landowner who had lots of money. And these were from two different places. Ruth from Moab, Boaz from Israel. They were completely at odds with one another that they wanted nothing to do with one another. So, so, so the likelihood of these two falling in love is the likelihood of you Chicago Bears fans actually asking a Packers fan to come over and watch the game. All right? I mean, I mean this is the odds that are out there. The odds here are, are Coca-Cola calling up Pepsi and going, hey, I think we should do a joint marketing campaign together. Let's work on this together. No! They were at odds with one another. This is, how about one more? This is, uh, they're so at odds with one another. Like, this is Apple ever admitting that Microsoft brought anything great into the world. Which, by the way, they didn't. Okay, so if you're just wondering, it's two conversions in life. One to the Lord Jesus Christ, and a second conversion to Apple products. That's what it is, right there. Okay, thank you, one person. Okay, before the Lord strikes me down. Uh, here's what Boaz is doing. Boaz is living out Leviticus 19. Boaz would have known his Bible and in this unlikely union of these two people falling in love, he's living this out. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall, do, you shall not do him wrong. Hey, by the way, church, as I read this, this is still applicable for us today. As we think about who we love and who we care for and who we invite to be our neighbor and who we invest our time in, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. That's a high calling. Why? 
because you were strangers in the land of Egypt and I am the Lord your God. So here's what Boaz would be thinking in his mind. The reason that I can love and welcome in this immigrant from this other place is I remembered again that we were once the immigrants. We were once the ones that were out for 400 years and in Egypt and in another land that we were once the ones sojourning without a place to be as we sought after the promised land and tried to remain faithful to God as the Israelites were in the wilderness for 400 years. Oh, that's why. Oh, because God welcomed us in. I forgot that point. That's why we welcome others in. Let me say it again. God uses the incremental moments, the incremental moments of your loyalty, the small choices that we make on a day-to-day basis to build the monumental moments of our legacy. Why do I keep flashing this up on the screen? Because church, to be honest, I'm a little nervous in the day and age we're living in that we're just get so caught up in the how do I get rich quick Instagram influencer YOLO based world that we live in that maybe we're getting our loyalties and our allegiances out of order. Would it not be so true of us that we become like so nearsighted that we can't see the long-term plan that God would have for us? To think, what are the small spiritual decisions that I'm making today that will impact my life and my family's life and people around me's life in 40 years and 50 years and 60 years, Lord willing, we're still on this earth. That we'd have a great legacy for the Lord. This past month or this month in June, Sarah and I celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. That's the time to clap. Okay, good. Thank you for that unsolicited clap. And so uh, a few years ago, it was our 10-year anniversary, and uh, so we were going to go on a trip, and uh, we were supposed to go to the Dominican Republic, and somehow we ended up in Charleston, South Carolina. I don't know. It's a whole other story for another day, but if I tell it, I'll get bitter like Naomi, so I'm just going to move right on. So we end up in Charleston, and uh, we're celebrating. I decided... I wanted to surprise Sarah for our 10-year anniversary. Now, she, she only had uh, uh, her engagement ring. She, she's just never, in the first 10 years, she never had a wedding band, okay? And so don't judge me. It was a nice engagement ring, okay? I, I did my job. But I thought, hey, I'll surprise her, and uh, I'll take her. I found this great jewelry shop, and we'll go, and let's pick out a wedding band for our 10-year anniversary. So we, we go to the shop, and we, we, we find it, and she's looking at the one she, she likes, and she's like, that's the one, and it had five little diamonds on it. And, and I was like, yeah, that is the one. And she didn't know I said that is the one because was, she was pregnant with our third kid. And I was like, there's five diamonds. We got five in the family. You can't add any more diamonds. No, no, no more diamonds are being added to the family, all right? So that was our way of having some birth control and saying we're not having more kids because you can't fit any more diamonds on the ring, right? And so, uh, so, so we get the ring and we go out to dinner and we get talking. And what I remember from the conversation that struck me most is as we talk about loyalty and we talk about legacy, that actually the stories we told and the memories that we had that came up, they weren't the big grandiose memories. You know, as you reflect back on life, it was interesting the things that we remembered. Like, hey, hey, remember that canoe ride we took at midnight in the middle of the lake and the stars were out and we had that conversation. Hey, I mean, remember that first year, uh, you know, of marriage in our tiny little one-bedroom apartment and we'd have coffee every morning on that couch next to the window and we'd talk and we'd connect. It was the little moments that we began to discuss and uh, not the, the big gestures. It, it was the times when we'd sit down and talk about, hey, what are the values? What are the things that, that we want to be known for? And this is what our family is going to be about. 
It was the memories of like, you know, hey, remember when our four-year-old locked himself in your mom's house and we had to call the fire department to break open the window and have him come? True story. We're great parents, by the way. We're great parents. Why am I sharing all that? Because we're building a spiritual legacy just like we're building our individual lives one block at a time, one choice at a time. One spiritual engagement with the Lord at a time. One time of opening up the Bible this day and opening up the Bible next day. And it's not a microwave faith, but it's a faith that's built just like families and relationships are established and built. Hey, we're talking about loyalty and unwavering loyalty and how that builds a legacy. Well, here's, here's another way to establish unwavering loyalty is it's established in the deliverance of love. Meaning this love is going to deliver us from and what this love is going to deliver us to. And I got to be honest, it's about to get weird here in church. You guys know there's some weird stuff in the Bible? There's some weird stuff in the Bible. And Ruth chapter three is no exception. Now, here's what would have been normal in their day. This is about 3,000 years ago. In the custom of their day, if a husband were to die, that it would have been the next family member who was unmarried. They would have been called the kinsman redeemer the, 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 the wife would have married that family member for two reasons. One, to provide for her and protect her, but two, so that they could continue the family line on. And so what we're going to find is, is Ruth and Boaz, at this point, they're kind of jonesing for each other, all right? They got a thing going on. The butterflies are flying. And what we're going to find is, ooh, there's actually another person in the family line that's nearer to Naomi and their family than Boaz was and this tension in the love story. Could they actually get married? And so you're going to see some, some, some weird texts here as they talk about how Boaz is going to redeem Ruth, but, but don't let that throw you off. All that that saying is that, hey, we would continue the family line, that we would protect and provide for. Now, there's parts of the Bible that are described and there's parts in the Bible that are prescribed. This is the way you should live your life. Don't worry, ladies. This is just describing what they did in their day. So God forbid, if you're married and your husband dies, you do not have to marry your brother-in-law. All right? I know a few of you were worried about it while we're getting into it. But, but let's look at it. Chapter 3, verse 9. Here's what happens. Naomi is about to give Ruth some terrible advice. Before we get into this verse, Naomi's going to go, hey, listen. Why don't you go and woo Boaz? Why don't you kind of get dressed up and put on the perfume? And why don't you go over in the middle of the night? And why don't you kind of pull back the covers a little bit and sneak in bed with Boaz? It's getting spicy in church this morning. Hey, if you're, if you're parents uh, of a teenager, I mean, how many parents are giving this advice to their kids? Hey, you know that new boy you're dating? Why don't you go and, you know, climb up in that window and open up the window and then kind of sneak in and get it? It's horrible advice. But Ruth takes her up on the advice. And so Ruth goes and she meets Boaz in the middle of the night. I told you Boaz was a man of integrity. Look how he responds. As Ruth climbs in, Boaz wakes up from his sleep and goes, who are you? She answered, I'm Ruth. Now she had a cloak on, it was dark, it's the middle of the night. Now remember, Boaz was a man of integrity, he was a single man. He's not used to women climbing into his bed in the middle of the night, making suggestive comments to him. And so what does he say? Or she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now hold on, what does this mean? What is she saying? 
This is not quite a marriage proposal, but it's not that far off. What Ruth is saying is, hey, um, if you're kind of into this thing, I'm kind of into it. I just wanted you to know, wink, I'm kind of into this thing too. Like, hey, Boaz, if you're feeling what I'm feeling, then maybe we should get married. What do you think? And what does Boaz said? May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than your first and that you have not gone after young men. He's saying, man, you're a woman of integrity. That, that you are looking to enter into a relationship of integrity, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Same language there we see in Proverbs 31 of a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Now this is back to saying a kinsman redeemer. It means I am in the family line of Elimelech and Naomi. And so I would qualify under the law of the land to actually be your husband. But problem, there's a redeemer nearer than I. There's one closer in the family line. And so as we're getting to fall in love with each other, I mean, what are we going to do about this guy? So Boaz says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. So what's Boaz doing right here? Don't miss it. He's saying, we're going to trust this over to God. Yeah, I love you too. But, 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 but there's, there's a law and God's created a law and we're going to trust the sovereignty of God's law and we're going to trust it over to him. And so if this other kinsman redeemer is going to marry you, then we're going to trust that to God. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Hey, lie down until the morning. Hey, they hit a roadblock. The easy answer here would have been, no, let's just, let's just fly to Vegas and elope and not talk to anybody. But that's not what they're doing. They're saying, we're going to entrust this relationship over to God. I love how Oswald Chambers says it. He says it like this. In a conflict of loyalty, obey Jesus at all costs. Their, their loyalties were in conflict with one another. Yeah, yeah, we want to remain loyal to God. And yeah, yeah, we want to remain loyal to the law. But also, I mean, we want to remain loyal to each other. We got a thing going here, right? How, how is this going to get resolved? And then we're going to see God do something amazing. Our final thought of how we're going to establish unwavering loyalty is this. It's established in the legacy of love. The legacy of love. Now, watch what's about to happen. Turn to Ruth chapter 4, and what we're going to see is that first kinsman that had the right to marry Ruth. What he's going to do is in God's sovereignty, he's going to decline to marry Ruth. And that as Ruth waited patiently and trusted God and did things the right way and made incremental decisions, small decisions to say one step at a time, God, I will follow after you. With all the steps of my life, God is going to end up giving Boaz as her husband. Oh, the lovebirds are going to get to marry. Ruth chapter four, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. Yes, that means what you think it means. It's getting spicy in church this morning. And what happened? The Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Now this is just saying, hey, hey look how the Lord has provided for you. Can you imagine? 
Do you remember when you walked into this land, a foreigner not knowing anybody? Can you remember when you had nothing to eat? Can you remember when you were homeless? Can you remember when you were picking up scraps in the fields? And his name will be renowned in Israel. Verse 17 goes on to say, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, oh, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Abed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What is happening here, church? What is happening is God is marking the legacy of Ruth. Uh, Do not miss what God is doing. Uh, That as Ruth was faithful to him, she gave him Boaz. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Abed. Abed was the grandfather of David, David by which the family of line of Jesus was born on this earth. That it was through the incremental moments of Ruth's faith, Ruth's trustworthiness, her loyalty to God, her loyalty to Naomi, her loyalty to Boaz, that through her family line, Jesus Christ was born on this earth. Hey, that was a great time to have some praise to God in this house this morning. Anybody? Come on. And God wants to do it in your life too. Hey, is it possible that we could miss because we think they're small little moments? We could miss what God is trying to do through us. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but through the legacy that he wants to build in and through you. Yeah, there were a lot easier choices for Ruth. Going back to Moab, a lot easier. Not staying with Naomi, a lot easier. Starting a life over again, a lot easier. Not waiting patiently to marry Boaz, a lot easier. But she didn't ask the question, how easy is this? Ruth asked the question, to where does my loyalty, to where does my allegiance belong? I love how the great theologian Spurgeon said it. He maybe said it best. In our Lord's love, we have the best motive for loyalty, the best reason for energy, and the best argument for perseverance. And Ruth has modeled all three of these, persevering to build an amazing legacy for God. Hey, let me just say it one more time. Would it be something that you mark on your heart today that God uses the incremental moments of your loyalty to build the monumental moments of the legacy that he has for you. And church, can I tell you, as we close this time, God has a great legacy for you. And he models it all throughout God's word. And I want to tell you today, it was no coincidence that God allowed a homeless woman named Ruth to enter into Israel, to follow after the God of Israel in a time when there was no king, to live in a town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. That eventually she would marry a man named Boaz, that they would have a baby who would be the grandfather of David, by whose line Jesus Christ would be born by coming to Bethlehem, that he would not only become the king of kings, but he would become the bread of life. That's what God is doing. And just like God built a legacy for Ruth, he wants to build a legacy for you. We're going to have a time as we close our service today to take communion. And you received the communion elements on your way in. If you didn't, there's stations at the back. Just ask that you put your Bible and your notes away and you just grab those elements. Because we want to leave some time today for you to reflect Reflect not only on Ruth, reflect not only on that legacy, but to reflect on the fact that through Ruth and through her loyalty, 
the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, has come to earth for you and for me. And to remember again that our primary loyalty goes to Jesus. Why? Because of what he's done on the cross for you and for me. That we don't need a kinsman redeemer in our life like Ruth did. We need the redeemer in our life. And can I remind you today that you and me are the homeless, hungry immigrant that's widowed and in despair. And that Jesus came to bring us fulfillment and life and purpose and redemption. Before you take the elements, let me just ask, who do you identify with in this story? Maybe it's Elimelech. I mean, he was a follower of God, but to be honest, all he was really doing is providing financially and physically for his family and not spiritually. And that didn't work out too good for him. Maybe you identify with the two sons of Naomi. They're like, they got to know Moab and they're like, man, just forget about this God of Israel. I mean, let's just go party, man. Let's just have fun. What's the big deal? I, I can catch up with that spiritual stuff later in my life. But for right now, I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing. I didn't really work out too well for them either. Maybe it's Naomi, and if I can just share my heart for a, a moment, if you're sitting here today and you're feeling the grief or even the bitterness that she felt, or even feeling like at times you need to shake your fist at God, that's okay. But to remember again that it's not God that caused the pain of Naomi. It was the decisions of her family. It was the decisions of herself. And that God wants to bring blessing as he ultimately did to her. But hey, for many of us, I hope it's Ruth. This great woman of the faith that modeled her loyalty in a near perfect, not perfect, but a near perfect way to have her full allegiance to the God of Israel and yet to allow the outpouring of that into relationships and blessing and people all around. So the worship team is gonna sing over you now and I just ask, would you just take a moment to maybe bow your heads and begin to pray and to just ask God the question, Lord, where, bring to my heart, where does my primary allegiance lie? And God, if the answer is not fully in Jesus Christ, then Lord, would you just, would you allow me to put you back where you belong? And would you remember what Jesus did on the cross? And if you haven't made that decision to put him in first place ever in your life, why wouldn't you do that today? And when you're ready, would you remember his body that was beaten for you, his blood that was shed for you? And then you can take the elements, take this time, the time is yours to meet with God. And when you're ready, you can stand and sing.